This episode of Philly's Therapy is brought to you by Loop. Ask any ball player, and they'll say there's no better feeling than coming up with a big hit when it matters most. Download the number one sports card app and get those big hits for yourself. Join Loop and get access to live sports card streams all day, every day. Our community hits cards that are worth up to thousands of dollars every night. Get a piece of the action for yourself. Download Loop for free today at loop.cards. That's L-O-U-P-E dot cards. Loop, sports cards 24-7. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Philly's Therapy. This time, it feels like there's actually a need for a bit of therapy. And I was hoping it wouldn't take this long or this short amount of time, this long, God, if only. We're 10 games into the season. The Phillies are four and six, which is not the worst thing in the world. By the way, I'm Paul Boyer, joined by the Athletic Philadelphia's Matt Gelb. We're just getting right into it today. We're just we're flying straight into things. The Phillies it's really are, early. It's really early here in Denver. Yeah, yeah. So it's before 8 a.m. out in Denver where Matt is. It's just before 10 a.m. here in New Jersey with me and the coffee is is kicking in. And we're just get, we're just going to get right into it because th- there are things to talk about. Matt, you said at the very, very, very end of last week's show, this will be an interesting week. It was just... It was just a statement that just punctuated the episode, just sort of floated out there. We knew it was a divisional week. Phillies were going to play the Mets and Marlins. We figured things were going to happen. Didn't really think this, and I'm waving and gesturing broadly, this would have happened over the last week, where the Phillies lost a series to the Mets at home, which, fine, they've done that before. Um, Then they went to Miami and lost a four-game series to the Marlins, which, okay, they've also done that before and a lot recently. But all of the things that conspired to come together to create those two series losses are, once again, just 10 games into the season, a decent bit of intrigue. And it's really anybody's anybody's guess as to where we can start. It's just, it's not the worst start overall, right? Four and six, they're going to have stretches like that during the year. They're going to have worse stretches like that during this year. It's just bad in the typically frustrating ways that they've played against NLE's teams. Uh, Last year, they were able to mitigate that a little bit. They were 500 against basically everybody but Miami, right? Um, But they're punting these early division games, and you can already tell there's like a little bit of of eye shifting. The pitching, the starting pitching especially, isn't really holding up the second time through, uh, especially with Zach Wheeler. We have continued frustration or confusion or uncertainty or whatever synonym you'd like to use over the distribution of infield playing time. And then there's just the lineup shifts and the, the feeling of, Oh, is there, you know, it it, is the, the clubhouse thinking like, Oh man, are we falling into a hole early on here? Are we going to get tight? Are we going to, you know, start overthinking things? It's great. It's a great place to be in 10 games in. And with that monologue to introduce us, um, Good morning, Matt. What um, what can you say to me as I lie here prone face down on our therapy couch trying to figure out why I'm so riled up just 10 games into this season already? It's because the Phillies can never be remotely normal. And I feel like uh, 
Craig from Baseball Prospectus, he has like this running Twitter thread every year. He's like, the Phillies cannot be remotely normal ever. And he just keeps adding to it as the season goes. And you're right. I mean, it's like 10 games and they're four and six. And like, you just kind of shrug at that. It's like, whatever. Yeah. Would you like them to be better? Sure. Like, is it the end of the world? No. Like you said, the sky is not falling. But then you start to like look at the last week and it's like, well, you're right. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the ace pitcher who's sitting 93 with his fastball? You want to start with the other top of the rotation pitcher who, again, you know, could not really get past some of the issues that that really plagued him last year. It was one start. I get it. But uh, do you want to start with the third baseman who made three errors one night, clearly has confidence problems, and then didn't play third base for almost another week? Do you want to start with do you want to start with the lineup juggling that has happened after nine or ten games in the season, which is a a very quick trigger to make lineup juggling and lineup changes uh there's i don't know and like i'm not even i don't know i haven't there's probably a ton that i didn't even get to i mean it's uh it wasn't a normal uh 10 game start to the season but in philly's standards i guess it was pretty normal <laughs> yeah right we, it's all about perspective i it the, the lineup thing is strange to me because on the whole the offense has been okay they're hitting yeah, yeah. i mean that's they, it's, it's like it's and you always have to put anything relative um, to the context of the league, and I, I don't know how much everyone is paying attention to the league right now, but uh, hitting is not good. It's way like, down. It's not yeah. good. Um, Phillies lead the, the league in doubles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're fourth in slugging, but they're tenth in runs. So I get it. I mean, they haven't scored you know nearly as much as they should, but it's not like they're you know they're seventh in batting average, seventh in on base percentage. It's not like they're dire straits uh, bad, but yeah, they they haven't been good. No, no. It's another one of those things where you have guys on polar opposite ends of the scale, right? You have um, you have Hoskins, who's probably been off to the most consistent start of anybody. Segura, who would have that title if he hadn't missed some time. Harper Castellanos. Had a little, Castellanos yeah. has been great. Harper got in, was in a bit of a mini slump, but he broke out of it toward the end of the Miami series. And then... You have JT, who's been fine. A new leadoff hitter, JT Real Muto, by the way, who's been fine. And then everybody else is just kind of like, well, yeah, Alec nothing Bohm, from center, nothing from center, nothing, nothing from, from center, short. nothing from shortstop. Uh, Camargo, fine, whatever. Alec Bohm's yeah. been great, but of course he can't get on the field. It's just a weird distribution of guys, and you can see it right there in in that um, in the couple of stats you just brought up there. They're slugging and they're hitting the ball with with some power, you know, leading the, the NL and doubles and all that, but only being 10th in the NL and runs on top of all that. It's just, it's not converting somehow like something in the formula is off. Well, situational hitting. I mean, they haven't hit with runners in scoring position and that that's, you know, whether you want to believe that's a skill or not, you know, that's a, a the eternal debate, but they, they haven't done, they haven't done it well in the first 10 games. And, you know, maybe a trip to Coors Field is uh, a good thing for them. Although the Rockies are like, you know, the best team in the world when they play at home, apparently. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. You're right though. It does feel disjointed. And maybe that's why they felt like they had to make that switch. And, and I thought it was interesting, the lineup switch. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, Joe Girardi, when he explained it to us Sunday morning, um, you know, like we're in the dugout at, at Marlins. Uh, I keep calling it Marlins Park. It's, I'm going to keep calling it Marlins Park. Lone Depot. That with, a, with a lowercase L, which, yeah, right. I, which I will never do. I like know, it's I a Phoebe Bridger song. Story. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he, he's kind of explaining the, the lineup and the way he's talking, it's like, it sounds like this is going to be moving forward. And I kind of like stopped myself. And I said, I just, I said to him, I said, I just want to be clear. Like, 
is this like a, the new lineup? Like, is this what you're doing? This isn't just like a one day thing. Is there, no, no, this is the lineup now. This is what we're going to do moving forward. Weird. And I, I was like, oh, okay. And like, I, I get it. Like Kyle Schwarber hasn't been very good at the top. No. And he, he sat him and, and the rationale behind it, I, I, I buy. He's, he's like, we need to separate Bryce and Schwarber by two batters now. Because when they were only separated by one, when Schwarber was batting leadoff and Harper was batting third, and there was a righty in between them, you know, whoever it was, Hoskins, Romuto, Segura, whoever, teams were still bringing in their best lefty for the best, biggest part of of the game, late in the game. Mm. And they were going after Schwarber and Harper, who have flaws against lefties. And you look at it, and I I had this in my story today at The Athletic, uh, Schwarber... Uh, I think it was one for 11 against lefty relievers this season with a walk and seven strikeouts. Well, that's not great. No, but it's also only like 12 plate appearances. Right. So like, I'm not, I don't know that I'm willing to like, it's a bad you know, week. They, they spend weeks touting Schwarber as like, you know, this untraditional, unconventional, but productive and effective leadoff hitter. And yeah, they, they, there was there was basis for that. Like he, he he did very well in it last year. It just seemed like a quick trigger to like make these moves now. And this isn't permanent. Like maybe you know maybe they end up going back to Schwarber at the top. I don't know. But for now, like this is what they want. And uh, I don't want to say it was an overreaction, but I'm not so sure that I I was surprised. I was surprised that he made those changes. Um, that soon, uh, again, it's not like they're a team that that has you know been totally incapable of scoring or getting guys on base because they have. Right, right, and the the strange thing to me, I think, looking forward a little bit is, I I really I, I continue to not like mentioning this guy, but Odubo Herrera is coming back, and I figured that at the very least the the Schwarber leadoff thing would continue until Herrera came back because Girardi really seems to love Herrera as a leadoff option. Even if he didn't install him there immediately, you know, once he's ready, he's going to come in and he's going to start now in center field every day, especially with the way Veerling struggled and, you know, Muziati will probably get optioned out and, you know, whatever. I figured at the very least they'd give it until then. I understand that Schwarber's struggles have been pronounced. You know, he hasn't been great. He hasn't been getting on base nearly. Now he's getting on base, what, on base percentage but of 225 you, not not really you, what you want but, right, but you trust the track record exactly exactly yeah. and 10 games you know what what do we know what do we know about the phillies right now what can we say confidently is true about them they have some good players some of them are hitting like we expect them to some of them are not but at the same time tomorrow anybody could go four for four and completely drastically change their entire season line and make it look like they've been off to the best start in the world because that's just what the early season is with these numbers. They're so prone to fluctuations. So as bad of a 10-game stretch as it's been, I I worry that there's a little bit of tension building in the clubhouse or in the lineup card filling out process where we're starting to feel the vice turn a little bit, even though we're only a, like a 10th, a 16th of the way into the season, whatever it is. And it just seems too early for that. Like you, you don't want, you don't want guys to start feeling like they don't know where they're going to bat every day because, you know, uh, 
baseball players being creatures of habit and all of that. And, and you've mentioned this before that as much as lineup construction is sort of a thing, it, it's more of a, a ritual for the players to come in and understand where they're going to be hitting and have that comfort factor. So if you, if you remove that uncertainty, it's one more thing to pile on and they're off to the slow start and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you've got things mounting. Like, do you feel like there's a bit of tension driving this or is it just riding, trying to ride a new high or find a new hot hand? There's other one other thing we know about them after 10 games, and that is they still can't win in Miami. Oh, boy. Well, that's true. Uh, I, I think there's a little bit of tension building, but but it's natural, Paul. Like, remember, the Phillies, when the Phillies did not exercise Joe Girardi's uh, club option for 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is a dynamic that they knew was possible, and, and I'm not saying that Joe Girardi is managing for his job right now. I don't think he is. Like that would be insane. Ten games in, yeah. Uh, but everybody, including Joe Girardi, knows that he does not have a contract beyond the season, and there's been a lot of focus on the manager early on, and I I get some of it. Um, I, I, I often think, and we've talked about this, that like, I don't, I think the manager typically, uh, the focus is, is misplaced usually when, when people are are thinking about the manager, Mm -hmm. uh, I I think a manager can win you some games, lose you some games, but in the end he's, he's probably won and lost as, you know, about the same amount for you. Usually the players are the ones who are going to win and lose games for you. For sure. That's my stance about managers. Now that said. Uh, he is the leader in that room and, uh, I don't think that they're panicking yet, but the little things that they've done, like, you know, the tinkering and the constant moving guys around, um, this was something that people lobbied criticism at Gabe Kapler for. Sure. Like, let's be real. I mean, that was something that people hated about Gabe Kapler and modern baseball managing and modern baseball lineup construction and roster construction, uh, dictates that you 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 know there aren't there aren't eight regulars anymore right it's not, it's not a thing lots like, of matchups but, right there's more matching up there's more platoon guys there's more part-time players etc uh but but i think what we're talking about here is reg you know entrenched regulars like bryce harper batted third the entire mvp season and i think he likes batting third that doesn't mean that he doesn't like batting second and as joe Girardi astutely pointed out it means about 18 more plate appearances for him over the course of the season, mm-hmm. uh, which is smart. Yeah. You want your best yeah, you hitter sitting that. as high as possible. No, no, no doubt. But you know, is JT real Muto uh, a long-term leadoff hitter? I don't know. You mentioned Oduble coming back and batting leadoff. I don't, I don't know that he will. And I also don't know that he's going to play every day. He's not going to play against lefties. Oh, thank God. Um, I, I don't <laughs> think he will. I think Veerling <laughs> will still start against lefties at least early on. If Oduble goes on a tear, then, yeah, maybe he's playing every day and batting leadoff. But I think if it's Oduble that we saw last year, he's batting in the bottom of the lineup, and he's and he's not playing against lefties. Um, yeah, it's 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 a line that like I'm I'm kind of struggling with right now, Paul, because you don't want to try to read too much into it because it was a short spring, and they made these huge acquisitions in the middle of the spring, and so while they had an idea of a set lineup by the end of the spring, it wasn't that set. Right. I mean, that's right. Like, Cause yeah. it, they didn't get a lot of time to see how it worked or see what guys liked. So I'll buy that, that that's a reason for them to make these changes 10 games in. 
I I probably wouldn't have I probably wouldn't have moved for Brad. I would have sat him for a day, maybe two days, for sure. He had not been swinging the bat well. Let him focus. Let him you know not think about it for a day. Maybe mm-hmm. do some early work, etc. Yeah. I, I I just don't think I would have done. I wouldn't have pulled this lever yet. Uh, it doesn't mean they can't go back because they probably will because it's baseball. I'm sure but... they will. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I it from the outside. I mean, it seems a little. It seems like an overreaction. It really does. And uh, I don't know. I mean, these early season, it's so hard. Like the Oakland A's have like the best offense in baseball, apparently. Like, yeah, right. Know, like, <laughs> the A's that we A's were talking left about Philly. losing 95 yeah. games or whatever. Ever since the A's left Philly, they're like, you know, like the greatest team on yeah. earth, apparently. Uh, strange. They, yeah, they have scored the most runs in the American League. Of course. So. Of course they have. Why, why wouldn't they? <laughs> uh, I, I do think that it, it's worth talking about these things on the offensive side of the ball, even though they've mostly picked up their side of the bargain with a couple of, you know, scuffling games here and there, maybe an uneven distribution of scoring, if you want to think about it that way. But it's been kind of a moot point a lot of times because the rotation has been not good the first couple of times through the order. Kyle Gibson had a gem of a start and then came back down to earth. You know, Nolo, like you mentioned, he's he's continuing to give up home runs. But the the bigger concern, I think, and and everybody's you know wondering when um, when it's safe to start using the, the 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 p word panic is surrounding Zach Wheeler, who for two straight starts now, as we've gotten into not even later innings but the middle innings, has been bleeding velocity. You know, this is a guy who would average ninety eight or so on his fastball and is throwing ninety four. He's average 97 last year. He's down like yeah. three on average. He's down three miles an hour. That's, that's big. That is, oh, that is a big drop year over year for a guy who is not that old. He's 32 years old and he, he does not look sharp. He does not look like he had enough time to fully ramp up during the spring. And as he gets into these higher pitch counts and they keep, you know, trying to push him toward his normal workload, you wonder if he's ever going to quite get there given how his stuff looks right now, what, what you can't answer this definitively, I don't think, but what does he need to get right? He he needs time, but that's a bad answer. So here's what, here's where I stand on the wheeler thing. Mm. I'll, I'll buy his explanation that in the spring, it's a slow ramp up for him. He, he doesn't, he feels physically fine. I'll buy that because if he, he's too important an investment. If he was not right, they would not have let him keep pitch, you know, kept pitching yesterday. I agree with that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, they can see the velocity numbers. They're not idiots. They're sitting there in the sure. dugout. They can see 93. They can see the 92. And they've talked to Wheeler. They have asked him to be honest. And I think he's being honest with them. I do. Okay. Here's what I don't agree with. This is the, they knew this was going to happen. This is what they chose when they decided to bring him to the majors after not having faced big league hitters in spring training, not having a normal spring, a delayed spring. He should have started the season on the injured list. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, if it was fatigue or, you know, I don't know how you label it. You know, I don't know if you can put a guy in the IL for not being ready. I, I don't know. It was an unusual spring. So I think you could have done there, There's things you could have done. You know, they could have just said it was the shoulder bicep you know, that, soreness or something. Yeah. yeah. But say, but say you could term it as recovery from bicep soreness. Yeah. You know, yeah, that, yeah. That's, and 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 that and then just let him make two starts in the minors and then bring him up. 
I know why they didn't do that. They were like, well, we're not going to waste Zach Wheeler innings in the minors. If we have him for three or four innings for the first few starts, so be it. We, we would rather him throw those innings in the majors. Oof. But that was assuming that it was Zach Wheeler right. you know, that we know. But it's not because he's building up. He's building up. And like in the middle of the fourth inning, around the fourth inning yesterday, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at what's happening. He is not missing bats. The score was sort of out of reach, but it wasn't totally out of reach yet. And you're thinking, well, what is the priority right now? Is it to win this game or is it to make sure that Zach Wheeler gets close to 80 pitches? Because they're trying to stretch him out. And I wasn't sure what the priority was at that moment because it yeah. was almost like a spring training game. And this isn't spring training. Right. And it's it's odd because I, I'm sure the Phillies aren't alone in this predicament with with pitchers they and even pitchers. Certainly players. are not. They are but, not. No. But they are they are the topic of our show and they are our focus. So we will we will focus just solely on them in a vacuum here. It is odd that a pitcher can look as obviously gassed, even just through television, as as I watched from up north, as obviously gassed as Wheeler did, and they just they continue to let him go, continue to let yeah, him throw. It's basically because like it's spring training, they're trying to get him stretched out. That's just, and, that is what it was. And it worries me because, like you mentioned, he is an incredibly important investment. He was a Cy Young Award finalist that year. He had one of the best starting pitching seasons in recent, if not all of Philly's history, if we contextualize it that way. He's incredibly important. And if the Phillies are going to make a playoff push, he needs to be right. Arguably the most important player on the roster. Yeah. Arguably. But, but it feels so risky right now, given the way he looks, to keep pushing him and to keep trying to ramp him up as his stuff bleeds the way it has been as he reaches pitch 60. And you wonder if... And this is impossible to predict. You wonder if they're they're increasing the risk of a of an injury here, which would really just set everything back a whole bunch more. It feels like it could come almost at any time, just because he's he's so slow in getting back to the form we're used to seeing him in. You wonder if there's something holding him back, and that's you know that's a little bit of uh, existential dread creeping in because there's no way to tell until a guy actually, you know, starts shaking his arm and has to leave his start. But it just feels like that could come at any minute the way he looks right now. Yeah. And like building up in a grapefruit league game is different than building up in a major league baseball game. There's a different, and you know, cause he's trying to win right now. Like, of course, I'm not saying that he doesn't try in the spring training games. It's a different kind of try. He's trying to execute a pitch. He's trying to work on something. He's just trying to get his, he's trying to get out. He's just trying to get, to the next inning so that he can get stretched out. Uh, The adrenaline is different. You're going to push your body maybe a little more than you normally would in your quote unquote fourth spring start when it's, you know, game 10 of a a major league season and you're trying to win a game for your team. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He's thrown 73 fastballs. I said this to him after the game. I said, you've thrown 73 fastballs and you've gotten two swings and misses Two on 73 fastballs. And he said, he's, he, he knows like he, he, he said, this is what he said. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the whole quote. He said, All right. the spin, the spin's good on it. That stuff kind of checks out. So my side here is that like they, they've, they've run the analytics on it. Yeah. I mean like they've looked okay. at it. So, okay. The spin's good. And then he says, but it's just the velo itself. So I'm not sneaking it past guys like I normally would. I just have to start changing eye levels pitching instead of throwing hard and pitching. I just have to figure out how to pitch a little bit better with that. Oh I know I have the stuff just have to do a better job. And then it was something else he said too. He said, 
uh, he's basically just been talking about how he has to pitch with less right now. And like, he has to pitch, um, which. <laughs> That's a little frightening. Yeah, I, it is. I mean, it's like he says, so when the is down a little bit, you just have to pitch a little different. You can't just sneak stuff past guys like I'm used to. I feel like that's how I've kind of, I was kind of pitching. So that's what he's saying is that yesterday he was pitching like Zach Wheeler at 97, 98 miles an hour when he only had 93. Yeah. So he's like, well, I have to change the way I pitch. But then you're in the back of your head. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. like we don't want Zach Wheeler to have to no. change the way he pitches. No, 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 because no, no. Zach Wheeler is really, really good when he's right. Yeah. So so then you come back to that. This whole question that we start with, what are we doing here? Like, what what are we what are we doing here with compromise Zach Wheeler? who we, we we believe he's not hurt, I'll buy that, but is not ready, isn't prepared, and now because of that is costing him games and is also changing the way he pitches temporarily? Well, and then how do you get back to the way you used to throw after you make that adjustment? Because if you're if you're changing a game plan and the way you work with the catcher on how are you going to attack certain hitters, assuming you are going to have stuff that's around like, you know, the 91 to 93 mile an hour fastball range, which is insane to say about Zach Wheeler right now. How much time are you going to spend getting back to the way you used to throw, assuming your stuff comes back at some point? And are you going to lose stuff in the middle in that transition again? It just, it's, yeah, it feels like a guy know. talking about a, a career transition as if he's totally going to morph into a different pitcher. I, I hope this isn't true and it's probably not true, but it feels like a guy who's preparing to, to just, change the way he throws and you don't want that out of a guy like wheeler just because he can be so dominant and overpowering when his stuff is there it almost makes you wonder like if they're just having this contingency plan in case stuff doesn't come all the way back i i don't know it makes me worry that we've seen these two straight starts where he is ramping up okay maybe we treat them like spring training and exhale a little bit yeah not ideal that it's happening during games that count but Maybe everything's fine. Maybe his arm will respond well in between these these next couple of starts and things will get back to the way we're, we're more accustomed to seeing them. But I, I don't love hearing the I have to change the way I pitch thing. That concerns me in, in tandem with the velocity bleed. It, it's just it's things you don't want to hear in tandem. No, I, and I think his next start is going to be uh, really important. Oh to watch is it ever? you know it's against the brewers uh at home i guess it'll be that saturday uh it'll be saturday against the brewers and i don't want to say important i mean it's just going to be super intriguing to see is there is there a little more stuff there can he get to 80 pitches without you know without the last 20 just being you know effectively bp mm. um but that that the fastball thing 73 fastballs two swings and misses at the fastball is staggering because Zach Wheeler, when right, is getting a ton of whiffs on that fastball because it's such a powerful weapon. And boy, I don't know. But Paul, yeah, we need. To, I want to talk about Alec Bohm. Oh yes, please. Yeah, let let's shift gears here a little. Um, I want to talk about Alec Bohm. Alec, Alec <laughs> Bohm is on fire. He has not struck out in what is it, seventeen trips to the plate. His batting average is still over six hundred. <laughs> he. What what was what was the thing I I found out he was the fr- like the third Phillies hitter ever to have a multi hit multi sack fly game uh, during the Marlins <laughs> series first since Dickie Thon in nineteen ninety I just I, I mostly wanted to make the reference for the Dickie Thon plug um, he's on fire at the plate but apparently and well evidently his defense is so bad that Girardi does not have 
the confidence to put him in the field, even to replace him with Camargo after six innings for defense. Like I, I would even take that at this point, get him two trips to the plate while he's so flaming hot and then install Camargo. Fine. That's a compromise I would make, but no, he gets into the lineup once in five days and it doesn't, he hasn't had, hadn't let it affect him at the plate, but he can't get playing time. And this goes back to what we were wondering about. How are they going to divvy up all this time at third base and around the infield? Uh, Matt, what do you what are you seeing? What what's going on here? My favorite exchange of the weekend, and this made it to my story. Uh, the question was asked by David Adler, who was uh, MLB.com. He was filling in for uh, Zalecki over the weekend in Miami, and he said, "You know how you know, how impressed are you that Bohm has been able to keep doing what he's doing? You know, even you know with irregular playing time." And Joe did not <laughs> like that. He said. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> he said, well, I, well, he's had an at-bat almost every day, so I wouldn't call it a regular. Oh, I think a regular is when you don't play for four or five days. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. Like, Bohm is the 11th most played appearances on the team. So I would call that a regular <laughs> if, yeah. if I'm the, the arbiter of this. I would believe that that is a regular. And so I think there's two things that can be true here, Paul. I think, one, Bohm is not a viable third baseman. I, I think that's true. I do. That's I, I understand. Sell, yeah. I understand where they where they stand. It is a ground ball pitching staff, and I know this. Like he should never start a Ranger Suarez pitched game again. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. So that's one. Okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm willing to admit that. But I, I don't know that he's a viable third baseman. And think about. It, I've been writing this ever since the day they drafted him. Like there were questions about whether he would stick at third, and those were mm-hmm. real questions. And the Phillies yes. kind of poo pooed them. The previous regime certainly poo-pooed them for you know quite some time, and there were people within the organization who were who were a little more dubious than the the higher ranking execs, and those people were dismissed. You know, they were like, "No, you're wrong," and I, I don't think he's a viable third baseman. But I think there's something else that can be true too. I think the Phillies have handled this about as poorly as possible. Not great. I almost would have sent him back out the day after. Like the, the day and, after and the three-hour game, yeah, and I would have like done what you said. I would have taken him out after six innings for Camargo. You almost have to you like they've made it a thing, and like so he came in for he came in and finally played at like three innings at third base or two innings at third base in in Sunday's game once it was a blowout. But he's going to play. I think he's going to play third base tonight uh, in the series opener against the Rockies. Okay, but it's going to be it's a thing now. Like it oh, is yes. an event because it's been so long since he started a game at third base. There is all there's more focus on it now because of the way they handled it. And I know that they've spent a lot of time in this last week working with him, talking to him, trying to help him regain confidence because it's not a work ethic thing. Uh, I just don't like the way that they've handled this because it looks like something that we've seen before. It looks like them failing a young player in the major at the major league level once again. And I am yeah. I am willing to see the flaws. I see the flaws. Yes. I don't think that Alec Bohm is an everyday third baseman. No. I see that. I, I am fully aware of that. But I also think that they could have handled this better. And they're in a really tough spot now because here is another first base slash DH type on a team full of them. Oh, yeah. But more than full. Overfilled. And that's, that's the big problem that's facing them now, right? I, I'm trying to think this through from a big picture perspective as Bohm has, what is it? 11 fewer plate appearances than Johan Camargo so far this year. We agree that Bohm is not a guy you feel confident in installing at third base a lot of this season. 
maybe even a decent part of the season. He's a liability in the field. You also don't trust necessarily his footwork at first base for days when you might want to give Hoskins a spell at DH and rest somebody else. There's also no corner outfield spot to try him out at because those Which they are, never were going to do. I And I yeah. asked about it for, <laughs> Did you? for many, many times over the last few years. And the answer was always no, we would never try him in left field. So like, okay. okay. All right. So then that was off the board anyway. There's no place for him on this team, given all of that, given the preference to have the uh, more steady hand for the so far worst bat at third base in Camargo. Boehm not having the ability, the track record, anything like that to displace anybody else at any other position, really. And DH is filled on a nightly basis. He has no place on this team then. And guess what? The rest and guess what? The rest of the league knows that. Right. And that's that's what I keep coming back to. Because this is a guy who clearly has skill. He can hit the ball. When he is right, he pummels the ball. He's off to a blazing hot start now. In 2020, in the short season, he was awesome. Last year was a mess, but he he seems to be sandwiching that with uh, what you hope is his real ability at the plate. He's still yeah, just and, and, and Robert Orr, uh, you know, baseball prospectus, yes. he, he noted on Twitter, Boom has made the changes that like if you look yes. at just and it's such a small you know you, it's hard to draw conclusions from seventeen plate appearances but of course. the the strikeouts are and he hasn't struck out yet the walks are up yeah right now they're exit gone. exit velocity way up launch angle he's hitting the ball more in the air he's doing everything that they asked him to do and right now then you have a guy who you still believe in and other teams are probably you know starting to salivate at this a little bit but the Phillies have zero leverage to use him for anything valuable. Certainly not alone, maybe as a package for something, whatever that might be. And this isn't really a time for trades anyway. What do you do with him now? There is no way to rebuild him to the point where he has the value he had as a rising prospect two years ago. There is no way to fully realize his value as, you know, either a trade asset or somebody on your team, which is preferable, but now doesn't really seem possible. It seems like his time in Philadelphia is already dead in the water and we're just waiting until the time runs out and they find some place to put him because he has no place on this team except as a five or six plate appearance a week matchup bat. And that's it. And guess what? I think that's how they're going to use him. I think he'll start once a week and I think he'll get in a bat in every game. I think the way you've seen them use him in the last week is how he will be used moving forward. The, I, uh, uh, the, all right. I'm on, I'm on the couch. So, like, right. Wh- so we can, right. So we can debate. So, oh. uh, there's a couple things to think when we think about that. Okay? okay. One is the guy started 98 games last year at third base. And I, I was of the opinion and I wrote this, I wrote this. I'd have to look when I wrote it, it might've been June, late June, I thought they should have sent him out. He was sinking in the majors. He was playing every day. He was, you know, he was okay at third. There would be hiccups here and there, but at the plate, he was terrible. Yeah. And I thought there, you know, the idea was let's let this kid sink or swim. You know, he had a great 50 games as a rookie, but he was sinking. And like, he lost a lot of confidence in that time. And would, would sending him out have helped that confidence or helped him regain it? I don't know. But I, I do know what I was watching wasn't working. Right. And so they didn't send him out. They let him sink in the majors. And then they finally did send him out once we got to 
mid-August and, right. you know, whatever. By then it was that I think the damage was done. It was but too late, yeah. I'm having a hard time reconciling, you know, the fact that they ran him out there for 98 games at third base last year and lived with it. And this year, like, he, you know, he can't even, he can't, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, how dare you suggest he play third base? Taboo, yeah. Um, Having a hard time with that. And the way Girardi explained that when I asked about it was that, well, we have more options this year. And do he's not know? wrong about that. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the options we? last year were Ronnie Torres and... I guess Freddie Galvis near the end there because Freddie's groin All was right, so, so bad that he couldn't play shortstop. Yeah, it's a little better. Yeah, yeah, it's a little better. Yeah, but uh, so you're trying to weigh okay, what's good for the 2022 Phillies? Well, Ah Boom, you know, as a bench guy and as a guy who starts maybe once a week, you know, and if he keeps hitting, you know, just seventy percent or sixty percent of what he's doing right now, he could help the 2022 Phillies. I, sure. I buy that. Sure, but then the long term. He was a third overall pick. He's a guy whose trade value has diminished significantly. Uh, he's a guy who, if you send him out to AAA because you say he's not getting enough playing time, either one, his trade value goes down even more, or two, his confidence is just completely shattered. Or both. Or both. <laughs> or three, he plays as, you know, he uses the regular time and somebody gets hurt and he comes back and he's playing every day. Um, this is, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, let's and look, Bryson Stott hasn't really hit either. And I think no. there's I think we're nearing a scenario here where neither of them are playing every day. <laughs> Cause they can field a lineup of nine guys once, you know, once we're out of this like, you know, quasi spring training, we want to rest, you know, our regulars twice a week or whatever. Once mm-hmm. we're out of that, you know, closer to the end of this month, uh, they can field a lineup of nine guys without Stott and Bone both. Sure. Yes. And this would be the manager who would do that, right? Right. Of course. And you are correct. And both of these things are true. Bohm can be a helpful asset to this team this year as a part-time player. In this case, at least how he's been used so far, a very part-time player. I I agree with that. But in the face of all those things you just mentioned, top pick, had great prospect stock, at least externally it seemed that way. And now is just immediately within has he even racked up like a full season's worth of games over his just really 167 games so one full season and it all balances out to about a league average bat so far but within one full season we have another guy who is relegated to part-time duty behind somebody who wasn't with the organization last year like it it's just it makes your head spin the fact that this happens with everybody seemingly inevitably every time. The only one who seemed to avoid that so far, at least on the current team, has been Hoskins. And it, even his future yeah. beyond his arbitration well, and years even, is kind of in doubt. Even then, they made him play left field right. to the majors. <laughs> oh, like, what? what is in the water? Why does this keep happening? Why do we keep running into this? Whether it's the, the player's fault or an evaluator's fault management's fault somebody is always doing something wrong it feels like when we have these talented guys who arrive and for whatever reason can't stick the graduation rate of this team from getting good guys from lehigh valley to the majors and having it work for more than like two weeks is just dismal and i'm I'm so tired of it and i hate seeing that i hate seeing that alec bohm has to wear this around his neck as being the latest guy who can't be a regular 
in this case, it's a more frustrating reason because he's doing what's being asked of him and he's doing it really well, but it's not enough to break through and get more playing time from Johan Camargo because of the lack of confidence in his defense and the fact that the team is so overstuffed with corner bats and DHs. It's so really I, just brutal. Yeah. And if I'm going to make, can I make one prediction? Okay. Uh, I think Bohm is playing for a different organization by July 31st. I, I, I have a hard time not seeing that come to pass at this point. To me right now, like he fits the mold of the Spencer Howard situation from last year, even though, I mean, Bohm has performed better than Spencer did in the majors. Um, but he's, his trade value is diminished, but he remains probably one of their better trade pieces, right? If they're going to go out and get something in July. Boy, that's um, something, isn't it? Yeah, and so I'd, I'd encourage people to read what I wrote uh, last week just about the organization, about mm. them starting to ask some of these tougher questions that you were just asking, Paul. It's like, why does this keep happening to us? And I don't know that they have the greatest answers yet, but they're at least asking the questions and trying to make some changes with the way that they interact with players especially at AAA to the majors and vice versa when the guys go up and down. Um, these are questions I'm not sure were necessarily, they were being asked before, but they weren't really being addressed. Uh, and so I give them credit for that. I, I just think that uh, what we're seeing unfold in the majors right now, it just, it, it is the same kind of stuff. So you're like, well, if they are really asking these questions and, you know, will somebody step in and say, you know, because this isn't all Joe Girardi. Like, look, like, come on. No. He's here on the road. Like, he talks to Joe every day. Mm-hmm. These are some of these decisions, you know, lineup decisions, day-to-day lineup decisions aren't organizational decisions. But many of the playing time decisions and the roster decisions, those are organizational decisions. They aren't Joe Girardi's decisions. Right. They have to be. Yeah. And so everyone bears a little bit of this, but... uh Joe Girardi has a history of of not trusting of trusting certain guys over others, and that's been well documented. And that's a thing; it is definitely a thing. So, you know, what happens if Alec Boom goes out there tonight at Coors Field and botches a play? Like, what mm. happens? Is he ever going to play there again for the Phillies? Like, that's um, the thing that they've created. Mm. Like, they've created that he must has to be perfect over there. Yeah, it's fair to ask at this point. You're right. I, I don't know. I, I think they've, I think they've really failed this kid. And again, that's with me saying that I fully am aware of the flaws. I see it. I get it. But I also think that they have failed him. I do. I really do. Oof. Well, <laughs> is that where we end? <laughs> I, it, I think it kind of has to be because, because I mean, that look, that's, that's the grim reality of this whole thing, right? Yes. The Phillies are four and six and are by no means eliminated from playoff contention after 10 games. And there are some things that have gone right in the midst of all of this, but it's hard to ignore when, you know, things like the bomb situation happen repeatedly and the frustrating, you know, series losses in Miami keep happening repeatedly. You want at some point for the cycle to break. Yeah. You want to see something that can make you think, Oh, okay. Maybe this time it's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Because no matter how many, good players this team has been adding and they've added a lot of legitimately really good players basically all the way back to 2017 every single year something seems to go wrong with the plan that led to the installment of these players and and things just fall apart and it it starts creeping up on you earlier and earlier in the season you know the expectations were lower in 2017 
and even a little bit in 2018. So to see them play a little bit better, you're like, oh, all right, well, that's that's right. They didn't end up making the playoffs, but, you know, things were a little bit better there and they had low stakes early on and then they overdelivered a little bit. And then, okay, fine. And then as things have ramped up a little bit and you add Bryce Harper and then you add Zach Wheeler and then you add Kyle Schwarber and Nick Cassianos in the same damn offseason. And then, and then things start to show the same spots from the previous years. You're like, and I'm looking over my shoulder, which is great for an, an audio show. Like you start, you start <laughs> wondering like it, it are, is Citizens Bank Park built on a, on a burial ground? Like did they install something I under mean, there from at the very least on? Like at very least center field is. Yeah. Well, center, well, center field is, yeah, I, I need a therapy session just for that position all on its own. Ah. We need something no. to show us that the cycle is going to break and that something yeah. about this year is actually going to be different. And I think that's the like kind of what people are just, yeah, that's all they're looking for, I think. And and we're 10 games in. And like, we might look back on this in a couple of weeks and we, might be, we really might laugh about oh, this. I we really, you, man. I think we so will. So bad. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. You're right. And I use the line in my story. I, it's a good line. And I, I don't ever, I, I, hate, I hate just about every word that I write. So it's rare that I like something <laughs> I write. But the, but the Phillies have always done less with more. They always have. Think about it. You're right. I mean, think about it. You're right. At the last few years, every year, they have added good players. There are good players in this team. But they just seem to always – the collective sum always seems to be less than than its parts. And, and they always do less with more. And, yeah, organizationally, they have start, you know they really have started to ask, like, why does this keep happening to us? And by the time they figure out the answer – it might be too late and at least maybe for the 2022 Phillies, but you know, we're so who knows, you know, who knows? Like, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to make these judgments, but uh, it's certainly the initial returns have been lackluster and uh, it's disappointing because they are spending a lot of money on this team. Well, it should be another interesting week in polar opposite ways. The team is, <laughs> Out in Colorado for a three-game series at Coors Field where the bats could go absolutely wild, and, and you hope they do. And after an off-day Thursday, they return home to play the Milwaukee Brewers who have fantastic pitching and may completely remove any sort of momentum the team would hopefully be carrying from the Colorado series before playing Colorado again on that homestand. We got, I think, back-to-back Sunday night ball for the Phils. Yes, that's right. Yes, the uh, the Milwaukee game uh, on Sunday is a seven oh eight start, so that's in the uh, and then the, the Mets National game window. and the, the week Mets after, ball, of course, yeah. and the Mets game the week after. Fantastic! All right, so more people get to watch exactly what the heck is going on with this team and try and figure it out for themselves. <laughs> uh, but but they will get to listen to David Cohn talk about the Phillies, and that will be a treat because David that Cohn is, is that about is as true. good as it gets. The the ESPN broadcast has has really leveled up with their crew this year that's that's something i think we should we should mention um but i think that'll do it for our time this week i think we need to wrap up the session i need to go about my day and do some breathing exercises uh the phillies sleep (laughs) (laughs) yeah i bet the phillies are off to a bit of a rough start but they're only four and six there's plenty of time to turn things around but plenty of questions still remain too keep an eye on this team this week they are if anything they are never boring that's right. Uh, <laughs> joined as always by Matt Galvin, the Athletic Philadelphia. Matt, thanks for letting me vent a little bit. See you, Paul.